more often than not, when we meditate, we practice breath meditation, and we often take some time to reflect on the heart and practice a loving-kindness meditation or perhaps a compassion meditation, but usually a loving-kindness meditation. I've been doing that in teaching and in uh, leading meditation uh, for many, many years. Uh, we see, uh, have found it very important to uh, include the loving-kindness meditation when we have retreats, as we had yesterday, Usually part of one meditation, we reflect on uh, loving kindness and our wish to be happy and the wish that we have for all beings, uh, for happiness of heart. Uh, pretty much from the beginning, when I started teaching, uh, I led loving kindness meditations uh, I think the first course I ever taught, in fact, I'm almost sure of it, was a, a loving-kindness course, uh, other than beginner's courses, technique courses. The first course, other than a meditation technique course, uh, I think the first one I taught was at Sufi Books uh, many years ago, a six-week course. Uh, uh, it was always clear to me, uh, and perhaps largely from my own experience, that, uh, that we needed to remember our wish to be happy. And this was so important. I know it was so important for me to remember my wish to be happy. And, and my sense of it was uh, that for the people who were coming to the classes, uh, you know, it was so important for all of us to remember our wish to be happy. And uh, I was very blessed in my, uh, in my life as a Dharma student uh, and as a teacher to have teachers who taught loving kindness. The first one uh, was Sharon Salzberg. Uh, and taught, took classes with her many years ago. Uh, and, uh, and then gradually I studied a lot uh, of loving kindness with Michelle McDonald uh, and did many retreats with her at IMS. Uh, the style I teach in uh, of her loving kindness meditation is largely what I learned uh, from uh, Michelle. So I'm very grateful to my teachers uh, who've taught me how the Dhamma and how to teach it uh, and how to practice it. Uh, I mentioned yesterday in our day long that uh, this month marks 25 years since I taught my first meditation class. Uh, so uh, I thought in the spirit of uh, uh, that anniversary, I would uh, just reflect a little bit on uh, my own uh, experience teaching and practicing the Dhamma. Uh, New York Insight had been uh, had been founded by myself and a few other people several months before in the summer of '97, uh, and uh, right about this time, or a little bit before this time, I guess. In the uh, early spring of 1998, uh, we got a call from a chaplain at Pratt Institute in Brooklyn asking if there was somebody who might want to teach a, a meditation course. And uh, uh, 
my colleagues uh, weren't able to do it. My colleagues who had been do doing some teaching weren't able to do it. And uh, I would say they asked me to do it, uh, but it was sort of like I was the only person left kind of thing. And I was resistant. I, I didn't want to be a teacher, really. I didn't really uh, perceive myself as a teacher. And uh, I was a little bit resistant, uh, but I also realized the importance of passing on the Dhamma. And uh, I think the thing, one of the things that just seemed, uh, uh, if you will, serendipitous or was some kind of a message for me was, uh, was that this little class, which uh, of course I ended up teaching, and it was a little small little class with maybe uh, the first week four or five people. And gradually I, I, I taught that class once a week there for several years, uh, and people would drop in uh, in this little chapel at Pratt. But I think I was uh, motivated to, to say yes, uh, uh, in part because uh, my great-grandfather had been a professor at Pratt Institute in Brooklyn. Uh, he taught architectural engineering there for many years. Uh, and uh, my grandmother grew up on the campus, uh, and she she got uh, her, undergraduate, her her undergraduate degree at, at Pratt and met my grandfather there. So it just seemed it seemed right that I should be uh, I should be doing this. Uh, in the in the early years of my teaching, I would often refer to my grandmother. Uh, as somebody who I learned so much from, and I was so grateful for. Uh, she helped me greatly uh, when I was growing up, particularly when I was an adolescent, at a time when I was uh, living with her, and uh, you know how it is for an adolescent, and it's a difficult time, and uh, she was just such a, a power of example of somebody with, with an extraordinary goodness. Uh, you know, and, and, and I, I was kind of a difficult kid, but she was always kind with me. I mean, her kindness was profound. Uh, and, uh, you know, she was such an important person in my life. Uh, you know, I was, I was, uh, I actually wrote about this a little bit in, in, the, in the book, The Skill of Living, how, uh, you know, the, these are these sort of, different fruits uh, that you sort of don't expect that you that fall from the tree of life when you're teaching the Dhamma. Uh, my grandmother lived to be uh, over a hundred, a little bit over a hundred, and on the occasion of her hundredth birthday, uh, uh, they had, we had a big party for her, and, uh, and I was asked to kind of give, the, give a little talk. You know, I was like, well, as, as, as being a teacher, and people knew I was a meditation teacher at that point, I had been a teacher for quite a few years, well, uh, about eight years, I guess. Uh, and that was such, a, such an honor for me to be able to do that and such a privilege. So, you know, as, as teachers, you know, we're indebted, and as Dharma students, of course, indebted to our, uh, the people who've uh, guided us uh, and uh, of course, our parents, you know, for me, my parents uh, were so, as for all of us, were so uh, important, are so important to remember in terms of my gratitude. Uh, and, and as the Buddha teaches us, for giving us the gift of life 
you know, and, and you know, as a Dharma student, uh, being able to understand the teachings and being able to open my heart more, uh, you know, my gratitude for my parents uh, just has developed so much over the year. And I think uh, one of the things that, you know, about myself as a teacher, I've always shared personally about my life story. So a lot of the people who came to uh, my classes, our classes, you know, particularly when my mother was, was still alive, uh, heard me often speak about uh, my relationship with her and, and, and how I really had to apply the teachings to develop an open-hearted relationship with her. And then uh, the incredible gratitude uh, that uh, that I had for her, uh, uh, and, and still do, of course, uh, that developed over time. I mean, that gratitude is always there, but being able to connect to it in the heart. Uh, and, and of course, at her uh, funeral, I, uh, you know, these are things that you just can't, can't even possibly imagine. Uh, uh, you know, but I, I was the one who, you know, presided at her funeral. My mother was a teacher, you know, and I, I really feel like I, you know, that that's sort of my karma of becoming a teacher. Although I had resisted being a teacher, you know, once I started doing it, it it, it became pretty clear to me that it was something that I was well suited to. I mean, it became pretty clear to me right at the beginning. You know, once I started doing it, it was just felt very natural, and it came very easily to me, and I enjoyed doing it, and there was there was pleasure in it. And uh, uh, again, I had never really taught, but it, it became really evident to me that this was uh, a path that uh, that I was in tune with, uh, and uh, you know, you know, the way that I teach. I, I mean, I. I have a little bit of experience. You know, my mother taught first grade. Uh, uh, you know, think of all those kids she taught to read. You know, it's extraordinary. I think of what I do, but, you know, I mean, thousands of kids she taught to read over the years. Uh, my mother was a master teacher, you know, and, uh, and you know, my mother was uh, somebody with a, a great enthusiasm, you know. She, was, she brought a tremendous enthusiasm uh, to to her work and to, and to life, uh, you know she wasn't you know she wasn't ah got to go to Mrs. Dubinin's class you know I mean she was you know she just she she brought great heart she brought great heart and passion to what she did uh, you know I, I I see I see a lot of her in myself uh, when I'm in my teaching in the way that I teach. Uh, it's not something you think about. It's just kind of the way you are. It's your karma. It's my karma. My father had a, a tremendous sense of humor, you know. And uh, you know, if you if you if you listened, if you would have listened to my father, uh, and uh, you know his humor and myself or my and my two brothers, it's 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 the same sense of humor. It's it's quite remarkable. Uh, and, you know, hopefully I've been able to bring uh, some humor. That's been one of the great joys of, of teaching, is to be able to bring some humor uh, to the Dhamma, as the Buddha did. I, I always think of what another one of my teachers, Christina Feldman, used to say. Uh, she said, you know, if there was a 10th, 11th parami, it would be the, to have a sense of humor.
you know, you know, we have the 10 paramis, which I wrote my first book, and she said if there was an 11th parami, it should be sense of humor. Uh, it's one of the things I kind of miss about Zoom is you can't hear the laughter. So I've always had this uh, real enthusiasm for teaching, you know, and to me, for me, that's really important. I, I, I feel that, uh, uh, you know, the enthusiasm for teaching and the enthusiasm that I bring to teaching uh, uh, is what makes uh, teaching for me uh, meaningful. Uh, and, uh, you know, the enthusiasm for teaching, uh, of course, is enthusiasm for the subject matter, for the Dhamma. You know, so uh, I, I hope that I've brought my own enthusiasm for teaching the Dhamma uh, and for the Dhamma to my teaching over the years. You know, this love of the Buddhist teachings, this love of the Dhamma. You know, it is, uh, it is as I've been saying a lot recently, you know, it's a spiritual path. So it's a path of the spirit. It's a path of the spirit. Uh, it's a path uh, of, uh, in which we, we, we strive to know the joy of living, the joy of living. Uh, this is what the Dhamma teaches us a love for life, a love for life. You know, the Dhamma teaches us uh, there's goodness in life and there's happiness in life. You know, again, gratitude for my teachers. Uh, you know, Christina used to say, you know, again and again, you know, remember this is a path of happiness. This is a path of happiness. You know, and it's something you know, it's you know, it's those kinds of teachings that uh, have always been so important to me, particularly at times in my life when, uh, you know, which happen, you know, regularly enough, uh, when perhaps I haven't been feeling so happy or I haven't been inclining to happiness, and to remember this is a path of happiness. This is a path of happiness. You know, mindfulness is a process of remembering. This is one of the things I need to remember, just like we learn to remember in metta practice. It's a path of happiness. So what I learned to remember in my Dharma practice and which I hope to be able to pass on as a teacher is the very simple uh, message that life is good. Life is good. Uh, I, I think I knew that as a kid and perhaps as a young adult and in my adult years I forgot that. You know, I lost sight of that for any number of years, you know, and I came to the Dhamma when I was 35, uh, and, uh, uh, you know, I, I realized that I had forgotten that, and, you know, when I came to the practice, I remembered again, I began to remember, uh, and, uh, you know, that's the message that I really, I seek to pass on, and, you know, and, and what a blessing to be able to kind of pass that message on and to offer that message, life is good. Life is good. You know, the message of the Dhamma is the message of uh, the joy of living, the joy of living. It's a good message. It's a good message. I think, you know, you spend your life passing on a message like this because you need to hear it, you know? It's, it's like it's been, uh, it's been important for me to spend the last 25 years teaching uh, and offering this message because it's a message that I needed to hear. You know, 
so we learn uh, to recognize the blessing of the day, right? The blessing of the day. Uh, I've often talked about how, you know, I would meet the day, you know, and this is particularly true in my adult years uh, before I came to the practice with uh, a very dark attitude toward the day as the day began, start of another lousy day. Uh, and what I've learned is to, is to recognize the blessing of each day. To recognize the blessing of this each day, you know, uh, for 25 years of teaching, you know, the message is the same. You know, people always kid me about that. You know, you're saying the same thing you said five, ten years. I'm saying the same thing I said 25 years ago. You know, uh, look to this day. Look to this day. This day is a blessing. This 24 hours is a blessing. Look to this day. If it's the first day of teaching or 25 years later, you know, you know, there's the saying of the Buddha, you know, the Dhamma is good in the beginning, good in the middle, good in the end. You know, the message is, is the same. Look to this day. Uh, we used to say, uh, <clears throat> one of my uh, favorite little sayings, I haven't used it in a while, but one of my sayings, uh, People sometimes used to kid around with me about it, is every day is a good day. Every day is a good day. Consider the alternative. You know, every day is a good day. The Buddha says, you shouldn't chase after the past or place expe expectations on the future. What is past is left behind. The future is as yet unreached. Whatever quality is present, you clearly see right there, right there. Not taken in, unshaken. That's how you develop the heart, ardently doing what should be done today. For who knows, tomorrow, death. There's no bargaining with mortality and his mighty horde. Whoever lives thus ardently, relentlessly, both day and night, has truly had an auspicious day. Don't chase after the past or place expectations on the future. Look to this day. Look to this day. You know, it all comes down to this day. And really, of course, within the confines of this day, it all comes down to the moment. It all comes down to the moment. You know, the message is the same in 25 years of teaching Pay attention to this moment. Pay attention to this moment. This is our task, to know the moment we're in. To know the moment we're in. To be right here. You know, and that's the same if we've been practicing for 25 days or 25 years. You know, the practice is still the same. To know the moment that we're in. To know the moment that we're in and to find happiness in the moment that we're in. This is why we practice. This is why we do all this stuff that we do, the emotions and the Four Noble Truths and all of that, you know, and the five aggregates. And It's to know the moment we're in and to know the happiness that's right there in each moment. Another quote that I used to use a lot uh, is from the Dalai Lama who said, 
we endeavor to know the present moment because this is where we'll find love. You know? It's the only place you find the heart is in the present moment. You, know, you don't find the heart yesterday or tomorrow or five minutes from now. The heart is only right here in the moment. We find our goodness in the moment. We find happiness in the moment that we're in. So it's one of the, the practices that I've always loved, you know, very simple practice of just asking, you know, can I find happiness in this moment that I'm in? Can I find happiness in this moment that I'm in? So I think as a teacher, uh, you know, that's that's my task is to is to uh, is to is to is to encourage you to find happiness in the moment that you're in. You know, uh, you know to to encourage you to know that it's there in any moment, in any moment. That's what my focus is. You know, you know, for myself and for you. You know, it's to know happiness. And the place where you know it is in the moment that you're in. We used to read a lot of poems back in the day. Uh, we don't haven't done that much at all recently. Uh, you know, recently being like the last ten years. Uh, you know, uh, but it, very rarely would a class go by when I wouldn't read a poem. And uh, uh, Mary Oliver, of course, was one of the the Dhamma poets that we used to read a lot, so I thought I would read one of her poems on the occasion of this 25th anniversary. When death comes like the hungry bear in autumn, when death comes and takes all the bright coins from his purse to buy me and snaps the purse shut, when death comes like the measle pox, when death comes like an iceberg between the shoulder blades, I want to step through the door full of curiosity, wondering, What's it going to be like, that cottage of darkness? And therefore, I look upon everything as a brotherhood and a sisterhood, and I look upon time as no more than an idea, and I consider eternity as another possibility, and I think of each life as a flower, as common as a field daisy and as singular, and each name a comfortable music in the mouth, tending as all music does toward silence and each body a lion of courage and something precious to the earth. When it's over, I want to say, all my life I was a bride married to amazement. I was the bridegroom taking the world into my arms. So repeat that line. When it's over, I want to say, all my life I was a bride married to amazement. I was the bridegroom taking the world into my arms. When it's over, I don't want to wonder if I have made of my life something particular and real. I don't want to find myself sighing and frightened or full of argument. I don't want to end up simply having visited this world. So this practice of meditation, which I've had uh, the extraordinary good fortune uh, to uh, be able to teach for 25 years, uh, you know, it's 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 a profound endeavor. Uh, practicing meditation, it's a beautiful and profound endeavor. You know, uh, 
in this practice out of the dream world that we live in, you know, the thought worlds that we live in, uh, we come out of the dream, right? We come out of the dream and uh, we begin to see clearly. You know, we begin to see clearly. We live our lives in this dream, in these thought worlds. We come out of the dream. You know, this was my experience in, in practicing meditation and starting and getting on that cushion. Uh, you know, when I was when I was 35 years old, uh, you know, and it's what I have sought to teach, you know, as I got on that cushion uh, at 35 and began to come out of the dream, uh, I began to see clearly, you know, and I began to see it really clearly. Uh, and it's what uh, uh, spurred my enthusiasm for the practice, the enthusiasm that I seek to bring to teaching. Uh, as I began to meditate and came out of the dream, I began to see clearly that happiness is there. You know, there is a, a true happiness. There is a happiness of heart and it's always there. It's always there. You know, it's really, it's a choice we make. You know, it's a choice we make. We make a choice to be happy. We make a choice to be happy. The choice we make as Dharma students, you know, and of course it's fits and starts. Uh, there's a part of us that, you know, rebels against the notion of being happy, believe me, you know, whether we see that or not. But ultimately, you know, every moment of practice that's true is a moment in which we're making a choice to be happy. You know, and if we make this choice, there's no question that we'll know happiness in this life. 